Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. We are back from our break, and I am joined, as always, by Derek Brissett, and we are joined by a special guest today. We are joined by one of the drafty signings from 2021 and Toronto's Arrows flanker, James O'Neill. James, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, too. Huge uh, fan of the show, and thanks for having me on. Pleasure to have you here. So, whenever we do one of these uh, interviews, we always start with the same questions. So, James, we want to know, what got you started in rugby? Yeah, so pretty uh, pretty boring story, unfortunately. Um, I was just uh, in my hometown, Cochrane, Alberta, and there was a indoor touch rugby league going on in town, and my buddy at the time brought me along to the um, to the session. Then that was basically it. Uh, yeah, I started playing in Cochrane with the Cochrane Coyotes. Um, they're no longer a thing now. They are the Bow Valley Grizzlies. Um, and uh, but then since the Coyotes folded, I had to move into Calgary and play there. So yeah, I started playing with the Irish originally, Calgary Irish, but then moved on to the Calgary Canucks where I am currently, and I actually. Just played with them a couple of days ago, so that was fun to fun to be back in town and playing with the boys and seeing some friendly faces. So, what is uh? I know a lot of guys obviously do that going uh throughout the league. You know, uh, during the summer they kind of uh you know like return to the club teams and play throughout the summer. What's uh that kind of experience like going to club rugby after playing a season of um professional rugby? Especially must be kind of I guess kind of a new experience for a lot of guys considering the MLR is still really new. But like, how does that kind of feel? It's like what's the there's like any other thing, like reactions from the teammates because it's like you kind of got a pro guy in the uh, in the lineup now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's always funny. Like some people will hype it up more, and you know, make it a bigger thing than it is. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll kind of do my best to kind of deflect that sort of attention and just focus on the game and just get back to playing rugby. To be honest, um, yeah, for me personally, just really fun being back. And to be honest with you, just really reminded me about you know why i love the game and you know all that all the cliche stuff you want to you know everyone's heard all the time but uh, i mean it's true right like that's where it started and you know just seeing some of my friends that are still there that i play with in um, the age grade system and all the rest of it and it's just exciting and it's just comforting to know that you know you always have a home where you know go around the world play wherever wherever but i can always come back to calgary and always have a place with canuck so yeah honestly just that enjoyment of the game i think uh, how did the game go for the uh, for the Canucks in your uh, triumphant return home? <laughs> yeah, we we went well. We beat the Hornets, you know, the uh, crosstown rivals. So, well, I mean, yeah, I guess our rivals are the are, are the Irish, but um, you know, the Hornets are the next best uh, team there. But yeah, no, it was good. We we won. You know, we uh, we let a let a few more tries in that we would have liked, but you know, at the end of the day, wins win, and the boys are rolling heavy and. You know, they haven't lost a game yet, which is pretty exciting stuff. And, yeah, I wish them all the best going into the uh, Alberta Cup playoffs. Okay, so you've been talking about, like, the clubs you were at when you started. But was there a figure that was influential to get you into rugby and continue development from an early age? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely would have to say my dad. He He's just been with me since the start. He wasn't. He wasn't really big into rugby when he was growing up as a kid. I mean, he definitely played it, but his uh, his game was more uh, soccer or, uh, you know, as the Brits would say, football, as you would know uh, there, Stu. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, he, yeah, basically whenever I started playing, the old man was always there in one way or another, you know, whether he was on the uh, sideline, um, you know, encouraging me as uh, politely as he possibly could. Uh, you know, pure passion, pure passion, but, uh, or whether he was, uh, stepping in and coaching, you know, he, you know, whenever there was a board there or, and then some years he was a manager and, and yeah, he, he did a really good job. Just kind of always, um, supported me when I, whenever I needed it, but he was never, you know, everything about my rugby came from me. It was, you know, I would always kind of push myself because I wanted to, he was, he was always there kind of, you know, you know, just offer you know, friendly, um, friendly sort of advice, you know, like I remember when I was younger, started to play kind of said, you know, you might enjoy the game more if you're fitter. So I just kind of started running and just kind of things like that. You just kind of introduced me to things and, and yeah, just, you know, and then we kind of 
both gone to rugby together as I was growing up. And yeah, I'd, yeah, definitely have to say I'm an old man for sure, especially from a young age. And uh, so obviously, if, like, if you're getting into rugby from your dad and uh, you keep saying like, after, you know, you started playing uh, at a young age, is there anybody that you really enjoyed watching or was kind of like influential, I guess, as maybe a little bit of a rugby hero or anything to you as you were kind of growing up before, uh, you know, maybe deciding that uh, the uh, the pathway to professional rugby might be uh, the best career path for you? Yeah, honestly, I mean, growing up, I was definitely a bit of a rugby nerd, which was um, pretty uncommon, especially in Canada. And uh, a lot of my friends just really, you know, didn't understand the game or, you know, they, they never watched it. So I had a handful of friends like that. But yeah, honestly, from a young age, it was definitely, yeah, Richie McCaw. I mean, he was the best of the best. And I just love the way he approached the game. He was just such a humble guy and such a good leader. And, you know, he just kind of no-nonsense kind of manner about him and um yeah honestly yeah i'd say richie but obviously growing up enjoyed watching other sevens like david pocock and michael hooper and all the rest of it and even in canada as well like adam kleber i was i was a huge adam kleber fan growing up i mean you know how could you not with when he when the man could grow a beard like that but um <laughs> yeah no i yeah definitely started following the sevens from a young age and kind of seeing what they're all about and yeah definitely fell in love with the position that way I was going to say, so like obviously two things there. One, I'm pretty sure the the ability to grow a beard was a requirement to be on that 2011 <laughs> World Cup team. Um, but uh, also secondly, it's like you just gave a massive list of open side flankers there. Um, so was that kind of like, do have you ever played another position or have you ever, I guess ever since you were a kid, you were like, I'm wearing that sevens jersey and that is, that is all that is I am going to bother putting on. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the first game I actually – ever played like club game you you 12 actually played as scrum half believe it or not but um you know hands are uh, a little rusty uh even to this day and age so it's, you know always constant improvement but um no, i was quickly moved into forward back and yeah i kind of bounced around between hooker and flanker for a little bit there um you know since i am vertically challenged as you guys may have noticed but um <laughs> but uh yeah no i um from the point of probably like U16, started playing seven uh, for the most part and pretty much stayed there since. I mean, when I was at UVic, I would kind of, you know, Doug Tate loves to throw in audible, audibles left, right, and center and, you know, change things on the fly. And I played hooker a couple times at UVic. And, but yeah, since U16 has very much uh, steadily been at seven so so you mentioned like your first rugby games uh there being at the u12 level um called yourself a rugby nerds and which was kind of uncommon it's i curious like did you uh just because you haven't mentioned it, like did you play like high school rugby or were you was that available to you at your school or did you have to go find like other uh places to play uh rugby at like obviously as you said at the clubs or that uh you grew up playing at yeah. So, yeah. So I started playing club and then when we kind of, yeah, I went to Cochrane high in grade nine, I went to St. Tim's before that. Um, but yeah, I went to Cochrane high in grade nine. And then there was kind of a, a mixed uh, rugby high school team there. We were mixed with uh, one of the other high schools in town, Bow Valley. And uh, my brother and I played on that team. Uh, I was in grade nine, he was in grade 10. And then yeah, a very mixed bag of skill, just, you know, guys uh, being introduced to the game for the very first time. But I mean, yeah, I was only there for a year and I was fortunate enough to receive an opportunity to go to Shawnigan Lake, actually. So I, from grade 10, 11, 12, I went to, went out to Vancouver Island and went to Shawnigan Lake School. And yeah, that was definitely made a huge difference in my life, you know, as, as a rugby player, but also as a young man developing as well, just learning a lot of, um, you know, core values and, you know, learning the, yeah, just proper way to grow up and be a man really. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely a few coaches there, like, you know, Tim Murdy and Gary Duclo to name a few, um, or David Robertson, Andrew Monroe, who's also part of that 2011 world cup team, except fortunately man can't grow a beard. So, you know, but he was a back. So, uh, you know, we'll give him the exception there, but, but yeah, so I was I was very fortunate to go to again, and honestly, I think that's really what was the catalyst at the end of the day that really kind of kickstarted my rugby and pointing it in that direction. I mean, you know, I, I said all the time, I don't know if I would have gone to university if it wasn't for that exposure at Shawnigan. Um, and then obviously going to university, getting a chance to go to UVic and 
play the Vikes and learn from uh, the Mighty Doug Tate. So, but uh, yeah, no, I was lucky enough to kind of have the ability to go away and play. Yeah, to come back to speaking about um, going to UVic and playing for the Vikes, um, you did say that you were coached under Doug Tate. And were you in his squad during his final year before his retirement? Is that correct? I was, yes. Well, yeah, technically, because that was going to be his retirement as well as uh, Rick Farley's. But with COVID the following year, they kind of stuck around to kind of look after the program for a little bit. But yeah, that was Doug and Rick's last competitive season. Okay. So um, obviously a guy who's been the co- the head coach of the Vikes for over two decades. What was it like to learn from such an established Canadian rugby coach? Yeah, it was amazing. Um, you know, first and foremost, Doug is just uh, you know, great, great man, great individual. Um, he kind of just takes the time to get to know every individual player. I mean, at times it'd be 40, 50 of us on the roster. So there's quite a few of us and he would take the time to get to know everyone and figure out, you know, what, um, what makes everyone tick and what's important to them. And that's something that I learned and still carry with myself today. You know, whenever you're meeting, when I, sorry, whenever I'm meeting new teammates or, you know, any situation really, I mean, uh, you know, you kind of figure out the best way to get the most out of people. And uh, Dougie definitely did that. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was an amazing experience and definitely learned a lot from Doug from the you know creative side of the game. I always love to try new things and he gave us a lot of leash. So, you know, he gave us a lot of creativity and ability to play. But I mean, yeah, the thing with Doug, like the man loves to talk. He just loves to chat. Mm-hmm. So whenever, remember hearing a podcast uh, a few years ago, Nathan Hiriyama was talking about this and he and you know I, I heard this podcast and I started doing the exact same thing where Nate said that he whenever he would go into Doug's office Rick was there as well and at first he'd go in and you know you had he'd have something in his head he'd want to ask Doug a question or something but then by the time he leaves the office you know 30 40 minutes later he just had a great conversation a cup of coffee with Doug and Rick but he didn't talk about anything he wanted to talk about like it was always just Doug <laughs> rambling on about what's going on in the news or, Oh, did you see this? Or what do you think about this new rule in rugby? So literally Nate just started writing down on a piece of paper, what he had to talk about. So go in there have a good uh, chat with Doug, have a good uh, hangout with him, all the rest of it. And then just quickly, you know, you try and get it in with like two minutes, like Doug, by the way, I want to talk to you about this, 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 and yeah, started doing the exact same thing. So yeah, it was always a fun time with Dougie. Um, you knew how to work, you knew how to push us and we worked hard for him, but um, yeah, he also knew how to have fun, have fun as well. So. Yeah, and what was maybe some of your favorite moments of playing for uh, for UVic, or just enjoying uh, you know the Canadian university rugby scene as a whole? Yeah, I mean it was definitely a cool experience. Just um, especially when I got there, is kind of a few older guys were kind of aging out, and at that time UVic was very much still hotbed for Canadian rugby. I mean before the MLR and all the rest of it the the Vikes were actually a club team. So guys would kind of go away, play for Canada, and then they'd come back and play for the university. So you'd see a few legends walk around the halls and, you know, you got to meet certain guys. But, um, yeah, no, I think um, a lot of a lot of good memories at UVic and a lot of good times with the boys. But, yeah, I definitely have to say that 2019 year and just winning that championship for Doug and Rick uh, in the end was, I, yeah, definitely would top the list just because – it was something we'd been talking about since summer and, you know, we hadn't be- beaten UBC in six years and, you know, basically it was our last shot to get it done for them. And the boys all turned up and yeah, we were able to get the job done for them. So, and yeah, no, it was a great time. So in 2019, um, Rugby Canada reintroduced the Pacific Pride. And uh, last year we also had the inaugural Coastal Cup competition and as someone in the Pacific Pride, you were also selected as captain uh, by Jamie Cudmore, the then head coach. So what was it like to take on this role as the captain for the Pacific Pride, as well as compete in this, you know, brand new seven-team tournament with a mixture of um, university teams and, you know, semi-pro to professional outfits? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Um, you know, it was definitely, obviously I missed 
playing with you, Vic. And at that time, I actually had, um, well, technically I still have another year of eligibility with the Vikes. So maybe I'll go back and do my master's or something. But um, at that point in time, I had, yeah, still had another year of eligibility. And I, you know, just decided it was best for me and my rugby um, to leave and go to the Pride in my last year of university. Um, so, yeah, I, I just felt like the Pride was just the next step that I had to take in order to kind of push over to MLR and push myself for my rugby development. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a tough decision leaving the boys for sure. But I mean, and obviously getting selected as captain as well was yeah, a huge honor and definitely something I wasn't expecting just because there's so many outstanding members of that squad. Um, and yeah, not going to lie to you. Like it was definitely a challenge more so than at UVic just because at UVic I'd been there for, about four or five years and yeah, no, five year, five year degree, shout out. Um, but uh, yeah, went um, at UVic, I had all that time to kind of build those connections and develop those relationships. So, you know, when it was time for me to be captain, it was a lot easier transition, but where with the pride I kind of came in, you're meeting guys for the first time, you know, you want to get the best out of guys. You want to get to know them best you can, but then, you know, you also don't want to step on toes. You don't want to come on too strong. So it was a good challenge for me, just kind of figuring out that bounce. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a good experience and yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. And the second game in the Coastal Cup, um, or the second round, I should say, was the Pride versus Uvic. So obviously facing off against the guys that in the uh, kit that you used to wear, was that a difficult game or were you able to get your head screwed on and focus on what the Pride needed to do? Yeah, not going to lie, it was definitely a weird week, a w weird week of prep. Just, uh, you know, think about that and kind of just preparing for the game best I could. But, yeah, by, by the time I got to game day, I was definitely ready and, yeah, ready to go. But, yeah, no, it's yeah, definitely tough trying to keep a straight face when you had guys like, you know, Nathan Yu and Gabe Casey just in your ear chirping you every chance they got. And, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, there's a – a few uh, love shots as well every time I touch the ball. And there's one point where, yeah, I was held up. I, I can't remember who's holding me up, but then Ethan Hager just ran in and absolutely smoked me. Just, just <laughs> biggest hit I've ever seen to make. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was fun. And yeah, it was good to play against the guys. I mean, yeah, obviously it was kind of weird as well. But I mean, yeah, no, I was able to kind of get the job done and uh, stay focused. So. What are uh, your kind of just your thoughts on the uh, the Coastal Cup competition as a whole in its first year? Kind of seems like the idea for it seems to sort of be like I guess kind of a bridge for a lot of guys between that club university level and maybe making the jump to either say the national team or uh, professional rugby in major in the MLR. Yeah, I think the Coastal Cup is a brilliant thing. Uh, yeah, it obviously last year was its first year, and there was um, you know quite a few guys on the ground put in a lot of hard work to make that happen. I mean, you know, I, I don't know all the names, so, you know, I'll just uh, leave it at that. But, um, but yeah, no, yeah, I, th I thought it was an amazing art competition. And, yeah, there was – I mean, they were got, like, um, Regan O'Gorman who's playing for Van East. And then you had, like, Ollie Knott and George Barton playing for the Tide. And then, you know, UVic and UBC are always good squads and they have a lot of talent sprinkled in there coming through and – and then also Trinity Western as well. I know that they didn't win any games, but they still stood up and they still competed hard. And you could just tell that there's a tremendous amount of growth in that squad. Um, but yeah, unfortunately I found out that it sounds like the Coastal Cup isn't coming back this year, which is oh no, crazy. Yeah. Um, kind of blew my mind. And yeah, it's just really, really tough to see. Because I mean, obviously, you know, like, it, you know, every, everything in this country, we got to we got to work on getting better and developing. And I thought that was just such an outstanding tournament and such a good place where we could start that rebuild. But yeah, it's just a shame to see that it's not coming back. I mean, hopefully it'll be back in the future, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it and it was a great challenge. It was definitely higher level rugby than the BC Premier League. Um, kind of had the best of the best. I mean, obviously I know it's tough where the club's, in the first half of the season struggle um, because I mean, a lot of guys are off playing that coastal cup, but you know, I think it's personally, I, I believe it's a necessary evil that kind of has to happen, but um, yeah, hopefully see it back one day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that's yeah. Oh, uh, that's what kind of what, what I was thinking. It seemed like it was a, a really good thing last year. And obviously I think you kind of mentioned the handful of guys that played in, you know, 
MLR games um, in, were in that uh, in that competition. And then obviously guys, um, certain guys made the jump to MLR for the first time after playing games in that competition too. It seemed like, you know, a really nice way to maybe bridge the gap between the, you know, the highest level of club that you can play and that like first level of uh, professional rugby. So I was, uh, yeah, it's kind of disappointing to hear that it, it, it won't be back. Hopefully, uh, like hopefully there's something that can maybe kind of fill the, fill the void on that and stuff. Did you um, just, uh, it seems like the level of competition was uh, seemed to be pretty good. And it was nice that like, even like the marketing around it, the, uh, you know, putting all the games on YouTube and stuff, um, which also just kind of helps hype up the uh, hype up and market just the game of rugby in general across, across Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, hundred percent Derek, like you touched on a lot of good things there. And one thing for sure, right. Like in the MLR off season, right. If players aren't off playing international then it's kind of the perfect, perfect way to come back and play a few games, get a few games in your belt, get the game fitness back. And then, you know, then you have a month off before the preseason kind of to do your final training and prep. But, um, and then also on the other hand, right. There's great exposure to players come through the ranks who are developing and they actually get to, you know, lock horns with those MLR players and kind of see where they're at, where their ability is and great tests. So yeah, honestly in my head, it was a win-win, but you know, hopefully it'll come back one day. Absolutely. Um, so let's move on to a more topical conversation because we are recording this on Monday, August 15th. And this Thursday coming up will be the third round of the MLR draft and the third draft, the third round of the draft yeah. will come eventually, but yeah, <laughs> the third incarnation, the yeah. 2022 MLR draft will be this Thursday. And uh, so James, you were uh, drafted in the 2021 draft, but I just want to ask, despite Canadian students not being eligible at the time, did you watch or follow the 2020 MLR draft? So the first incarnation draft at all yeah funny enough i did i mean obviously i helped that it was uh only two rounds it was over real quick so you know didn't get bored or anything but uh mm-hmm. yeah i actually had you know i just knew a few players down in the states at the time who you know i knew from my time playing in canada and or i played against them just through canada u20 or or whatnot but um yeah, i did follow it mostly because um a friend of mine nick taylor was actually eligible for the draft and and he was actually drafted by the um, the Seattle Sea Sea Wolves in the second round. So it was just cool to see, you know, home homegrown boy like himself get drafted. And um, yeah, no, I was definitely following it. And yeah, it's just interesting to see how it's developed and grown day. All right. So focusing on your draft as well. Um, so it's been described on the MLR website of how a player goes around being drafted. Um, what was from a first-hand experience? What was the process for declaring yourself for the draft? Yeah, so basically, I had to yeah go onto the MLR website, and there's a form you fill out, basically declaring declaring for the draft. Um, and yeah, there's you know an, an element where you uh, yeah fill out your basic information, and then you provide a link to the you know rugby CV, and then to your highlight tape, and then yeah, you basically um put your hand up or throw your hat in the ring and then you basically after that hope for the best i mean i yeah i yeah some guys will have teams kind of reach out to them and talk to them and all the rest of it but personally i i didn't so it was just a really interesting process i was kind of sat there on draft day kind of waiting and waiting to see if my name would come up and then it did and yeah obviously really excited but uh but yeah it's definitely a bit of a stressful experience for sure just because i had no idea what was going to happen yeah so that's kind of interesting because obviously the mlr draft is a pretty new concept especially a new concept in rugby pretty much the only league that does a draft um and obviously like other like you know people that follow other sports in north america kind of familiar with some of the um absurd questions and stuff that teams ask some of the other uh, draft picks or some pretty famous ones that float around out there but uh so like you had a it sounds like though you kind of had that like minimal um i guess minimal contact with uh the 13 teams across the league um so like on like did you have any kind of indication at all then that like la might have been interested in you at the time or were you, 
uh, like you said, just kind of like everybody else, because kind of sitting around maybe watching the uh, the broadcast of the draft, just kind of waiting and hoping? Or was there any indication at all that um, like you knew you would be getting picked by L.A.? Yeah. So, yeah, to be honest with you, Derek, I had no idea. Um, basically, I was sat in my basement suite in uh, in Victoria with my roommate Emerson Pryor, who got drafted by Utah. And, um, yeah, we were watching the, uh, the draft and, yeah, we we're both kind of just sitting there and seeing what waiting, uh, you know, waiting to see what would happen. And we we're watching a live stream on uh, on Fox three and the stream actually cut out halfway through the draft and then it, it switched to ultimate frisbee so we were both oh. just like <laughs> we were like oh this is awesome yeah this is sweet so uh and then um and then yeah to be honest with you we were trying to figure out how to get up and then obviously you know both emma and i are, we struggled the best of times but um we were able to figure out that um they're showing up on the rugby network so you know we got on there and then but by the time we figured it out the draft already happened and i actually heard my phone going off, but I didn't want to know that way. So I, I just, I muted it and I put it down. Like I didn't even look at it. And, um, and, and you know, call us cleaners, but Emerson and I just sat there and watched the draft through and <laughs> <laughs> just waiting to see. And, uh, and yeah, no, just, uh, my name was called and, um, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Check my phone and yeah, blew up lots of messages and, and then, and then a few, uh, you know, picks later, Emerson, uh, got scooped up by Utah. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty exciting process yeah well you did say you were a rugby nerd earlier so i fully expect that you would like you know even even if you had to watch the exciting conclusion of that ultimate frisbee game that you would eventually go back and watch the entire i mean i'm in the ultimate frisbee it's a great athleticism out there you know you got to respect that but uh you know i was yeah it's definitely definitely (laughs) stretching out for sure not gonna not gonna lie on that might be yeah. the first first player in history of any sport to miss their draft pick because they were watching <laughs> Ultimate Frisbee, though. Um, so, uh, so obviously that happens. So you get selected by LA. I'm assuming you check your phone and see that it was blowing up because you got picked by LA. Um, so what was kind of, I guess, the immediate reaction, friends, family, um, and like, I guess, what did you, uh, what you kind of do? Like, what did you and I guess Emerson do? Like, kind of immediately after being drafted, much of a celebration, or was just kind of subdued, turn off, back at the ultimate frisbee game, back on, or like, what, what happened there? Yeah, it, it was an awesome experience. Basically, yeah, uh, when the old man found out, he he bought me a bottle of whiskey, and and when he uh, when he came back out into Victoria, we were able to celebrate and stuff. And but he wasn't there at the time, and then. Um, yeah, funny story, actually, a few, about a week before, a week and a bit before that, Seattle Seawolves were holding an open ID camp, and um, Emerson and I both at that point had no idea what was happening, we figured, you know, we'd both go down there just to, yeah, kind of uh, create our own chances and see what would happen, and we, we both went down there, but then, you know, at that time, it was very much at the height of COVID, so yeah, it was, it was a crazy experience. Uh, really funny story for another time, but, uh, but basically long story short, I went down there and, um, I had, I got my second shot and I, you know, me being simpleton, I am, but I misunderstood the rules. So I thought I got my second, second shot and I thought I was good to go to come back over the border. No problem. Um, but then, yeah, it turns out I had to quarantine for two weeks because I came back, uh, before, the two weeks was up that I got my second shot. And then, yeah, obviously really disappointing. Had to call my bosses. Um, you know, they, they let me go early on Friday to it's like, yeah, don't worry. I'll be back Monday. No problem. And then call, <laughs> call them mid Sunday. And I'm like, yeah. So, uh, I really messed up and I have to quarantine for two weeks. So basically, uh, when I was watching the draft, I was still quarantining, you know, please don't report me to the government or anything, but, uh, <laughs> Basically, yeah, I was sitting there with Emerson and, uh, you know, I had my girlfriend at the time, uh, Lexi was over and then, and then Emerson had his, um, his friend over as well, Rachel Banks. Um, and, and yeah, we were, yeah, watching the draft. I mean, like, yeah, they probably shouldn't have been over or whatever, but, uh, yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't really leave, unfortunately, uh, Derek, I mean, which was really sad, but, uh, but yeah, no, you know, we had a great time and actually, you know, my brother came over later and his girlfriend as well. I mean, obviously kept our social distance. 100 uh but uh okay it's i don't think trudeau listens to this podcast man you're good i don't think the, uh, i don't know trudeau's a big rugby fan so yeah I mean, but, yeah the rc doesn't strong. have a tap i think you're good man yeah maybe you guys are going strong though. i mean you guys are gonna blow up don't worry don't worry we should we should actually have them on the podcast one day maybe that'll 
Maybe that would help out. Or maybe that would be terrible, depending on people's points of view, I guess. That depends which part of the country uh, it's being listened in. And uh, we'll decide then. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a funny experience, at least. So you get drafted to LA. Um, there's even a photo of you on the Giltini's uh, website of the draftees um, for LA. And then in November, I believe, um, comes this big trade deal with Ben Lesage, where for your services, um, increased salary uh, cap considerations as well. You move back north across the border to the Toronto Arrows. Um, so did you get any warning of this trade prior or was this something that they just called you like 30 minutes before going to press saying, by the way, you're uh, playing in the uh, Eastern Conference now? Basically leading up to the trade, uh, a little bit before that, well, a little bit, a couple months before that, I went down to LA with the other draft picks and we kind of met up for like a mini camp uh, for week week-long training camp in LA and it went really well um and all the rest of it for myself and uh, i was pretty positive about about la to see how it went and you know basically talking to uh adam fryer and Stephen hoyles and they're basically saying like yeah we'll be in touch mate like don't worry uh you know next week or two we'll sort this out and then you know next week never came next week never came so then i was kind of like you know i saw pull my breath and i was like okay like what's gonna happen like this will be interesting and um you know to his credit uh Stephen hoyles actually called me and basically laid it all out um had a good 15 minute conversation and explained exactly why you know they felt it was um in their best interest to trade me away to toronto and obviously acquire ben lesage i mean you know obviously toronto won that trade easily come on <laughs> yeah of course of course no 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 definitely not but uh but no like I, and it happened and you know obviously la would have been a cool place but i mean i was still really excited to land in Toronto, especially in a Canadian market. And uh, it's funny as well, just because Ben and I are actually from the same club in Calgary as well. So mm. yeah, just a small world, but, um, but no, yeah. And it, it was just funny to see how it um, went down, but you know, I, I totally understood all the reasoning from both sides and yeah, again, I was happy to land in Toronto. So. I'm glad you're here. That, yeah, I was gonna say Toronto definitely won that trade. I mean, we I think we have we have uh, audio evidence of saying Toronto won that trade. I think at some point, right, Stu? Absolutely, absolutely. At some point, there's an on, on record. Back. It's definitely on record. Man. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. Benny's a class player, and obviously, very, very sad to see him go. But uh, you know, from an unbiased perspective, super excited to see him in LA and having fun down there and playing well. So yeah, you could also look at it as you got traded for Ben Lasage. So that kind of makes you equal yeah. to him, right? So, yeah, it mm. might be a bit of a stretch, but no, I appreciate the, <laughs> uh, the encouragement there, Derek. I really appreciate it. So uh, I, I guess kind of, I mean, Stu kind of touched on it, I guess, but like what, what is that sort of process like within the league um, for traded players? Is there any like, any, like, I guess, extra steps and stuff that you have to do, or is it just kind of, basically a couple quick phone calls, as you mentioned, and then, you know, hop on a plane to Toronto. Yeah, essentially it was as simple as that there. I mean, basically I, I've been, basically my, what happens is your rights gets traded away. So my rights got traded to Toronto. However, if I wasn't happy with the trade hypothetically, and I didn't want to sign, then obviously I didn't have to sign. So then I don't have to play with Toronto, but if Toronto still held, held on to my rights, then I couldn't play, with any other team or in the MLR until, you know, you basically have to wait for a season and a half. Basically that's a MLR. So you have to wait until, yeah, I believe April of the following season. Basically. Yeah. The MLR Mm. brought that in to kind of establish some loyalty in the league. So kind of Um, like the hockey's unrestricted free agent sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Right. So, um, but yeah, so, yeah, hypothetically, if I didn't want to play in Toronto, then I could have said, no, I don't want to play here, sign or trade me away, or I'm not signing, and they could have 100% held on to me. So, but yeah, it's interesting to see how that goes down. So obviously, like, the Toronto Arrows are involved with Rugby Canada and the Pride program as part of that. Um, did you have any kind of any indication at all from them that they were I know you said you didn't really talk to any teams before the draft, but was there, do you ever have like any contact with the team that they would uh, possibly be interested in you before making that trade? Yeah, no, I, um, 
I didn't actually have any, yeah, any communication with the Toronto Arrows. Um, I, when I, when I got there, you know, I was obviously, you know, like um, poking, poking a bit of fun and stuff and just uh, saying, oh, I can't believe you guys, you know, didn't draft me and all the rest of it. But uh, they're, <laughs> the boys are, uh, you know, obviously the management there, they're saying that, yeah, they apparently they're keen on drafting me, but, uh, you know, got uh, scooped up by LA before they could, uh, could get to me. But yeah, no, to be honest with you, I, I had no, no communication prior or anything, but I mean, I'm sure they had their, you know, hands full and, looking at so many draft picks and all the rest of it. Right. So. Yeah, no, I'm just, uh, it, it's just, it's kind of interesting just because like from like, I guess that fan outside point of view, especially um, this past season was the first time, like we, as like as fans actually got notified of what the trades were, the MLR kind of um, up their game as far as like the transparency and like league transactions and stuff. Um, so it, it is to me, it's just kind of one of those things. It's interesting to talk to guys that have been traded because, um, you know, I think in a lot of the other established sports leagues and stuff, people kind of have a general idea of like, you know, if an NHL player gets traded, you kind of, we all kind of know what happens in that sort of situation. But like the MLR is, uh, you know, obviously a new league. So it's really cool to kind of hear like the perspective of guys that are going through the draft or have gone through the process of, of, of a trade and kind of see like what, what that is like in the growing league. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just exciting as well that you mentioned that, you know, MLR is the only rugby league in the world that has a draft process. And I think it honestly makes things very interesting and it definitely makes it more appealing to a North American uh, market. Right. So yeah, no, it's just interesting to see how, things have been and it'll be interesting to see how things grow over the coming years yeah absolutely and uh obviously you i mean as a result of that trade you did play your first um professional rugby season with the toronto arrows and uh just kind of i mean maybe we'll just start off a little bit general with this uh, just kind of like your thoughts on the season as a whole and how you went during uh during your first year of pro rugby um you know, obviously you got plenty of starts, scored some tries, uh, looked really good at the breakdown at certain points of time. Um, how did you just kind of, how did you feel during your first year of pro rugby? And what was that kind of experience like? Yeah, to be honest with you, coming into it, I was pretty nervous. And then, you know, especially, you know, nervous and excited. And especially seeing the roster that Toronto had. I mean, our back row was absolutely stacked, right? You had, you know, Siaki Vicolani, Lucas Rumble, Thomas De La Vega, Mason Flesh. Kyle Bailey could play in the back row or the second row. So, you know, to name a few. So, and then, you know, obviously only not as well. I mean, so basically I looked at those names and, you know, I kind of, I, I had no idea where I was going to sit. So basically my mindset coming in the season, I was just going to, I just decided that I was going to throw the kitchen sink at it and just give everything I had in the preseason and kind of see how the chips fell. And then, yeah, I was fortunate enough to find my name on a few of the roster sheets. And yeah, I mean, when, when that happened, again, very, very exciting. But at the same time, it was kind of that next step, right? And then uh, as a, you know, my mentality going into it, I kind of, it changed a little bit because, I mean, you know, when you when you start getting your name on the roster sheet more times than not, then I feel like, you know, your mentality around, you know, maybe the locker room around the team or certain things just have to change a little bit. I think, I think it's kind of, you have this responsibility to step up a little bit as a as a player and, you know, kind of make sure you're doing everything to kind of push the team in the right direction. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I was super fortunate to play lots of rugby this year. Definitely wasn't expecting to play that much. And it was a great, great experience. You know, I really enjoyed playing in Toronto and getting to tour across the States and playing different cities all across, um, you know, but as a team, like, you know, and I feel like everyone felt the exact same way, you know, like we were definitely looking for more this year and um, we were hoping to finish better. Uh, you know, obviously for the fans and all the rest of it, but, you know, obviously all the guys in the locker room as well. Um, but, uh, you know, just that's just the way it goes sometimes. And I know we're we're building to something pretty special in Toronto, so just got to keep working. So, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. And it was a very, very exciting rookie season. And uh, so as kind of a rookie coming in the league, did you have like a, like a little like welcome to the MLR kind of moment during a game where you you know, is, is there like a bit of a realization that it's like all oh, this level, this is a bit of a step up from playing uh, for the Vikes or the Pride or the, the Canucks? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was playing in, um, funny enough, I was actually talking to Hoodie, Matt Hood about this. And we're when we we're playing against uh, L.A., funny enough, in week two in, out in Victoria, um, yeah, we were 
I think we were camped out on our 40 meter and Brody put up a box kick and then we chased down and then Will Chambers caught the ball and Will Chambers was running straight at me. And I was kind of thinking like, Oh my God, that's Will Chambers. Like, and he, you know, he didn't, he didn't necessarily, um, you know, he wasn't running super fast or anything, you know, I mean, he's getting a bit old, but, uh, but he, you know, I, I basically had the opportunity to put a pretty good shot on him and I just, for whatever reason froze. And I, I, I still made the tackle and all the rest of it, but I looked back at that cliff and I was just, I looked at the highlight and I was like, man, I could have like, you know, hit him a little bit harder than I did. Uh, so that was definitely a moment where it kind of clicked and I was like, okay, you look like, yeah, it's exciting. And there's all these superstars and all the rest of it. By the end of the day, like still got to do my job. And, you know, I, I just definitely did a lot of work to kind of get out of that, like star studded um, stars. Yeah. Kind of like, that that moment right it's like seeing guys you know from overseas and yeah i mean yeah it's a cool league like that right it attracts a lot of big names so but yeah that was definitely my uh hey rookie welcome to the mlr moment so so uh i guess this, does that kind of like combine with uh, i guess a little bit of the uh the rugby nerd thing that you you've been kind of mentioning was there anybody uh was there any games when you got the that arrow scheduler kind of circling it's like oh hey i'm gonna get to play that guy yeah absolutely right i mean Looked at the schedule and unfortunately didn't have the opportunity to play against San Diego because then, you know, obviously Mike Smith at the end of the season, you know, definitely established himself as a starting seven and rightfully so, right? Like that guy is like one of just not the best seven in the league at the moment. And But, um, but I mean, obviously th- them having Chris Robshaw on the roster as well. I mean, I would have loved to go head to head with Chris Robshaw. Um I think that would have been a really, really cool experience. I mean, obviously growing up and watching rugby and now he's in the MLR. Um, but to be honest with you, um, a name that I was really looking forward to playing against was uh, Andrew Guerra in, uh, mm-hmm. down in New Orleans. I mean, I have so much respect for that guy and just how, how hard he works and just his, just his mindset behind the game. I mean, I know he was really unlucky last year. He suffered an ACL injury when he was playing for the States. But no, I was definitely – and I didn't even play in – either New Orleans game, just the way it worked out. But um, but that definitely would have been someone I would have been looking forward to playing against just for the challenge, more or less. And But, uh, yeah, hopefully he comes back healthy this year and hopefully get the opportunity. I've got to say, was it strange to have been playing for the Vikes and UVic, then the Pacific Pride on Vancouver Island, then to eventually be signed by Toronto, only to have your second game be right back on in victoria at starlight stadium yeah no it yes it was it was very very strange and just very just funny how coincidence works out right i mean either way if i had gone to la and things had gone well for me and made that roster then there was there's an opportunity for me to come back and play there as well again right so but yeah. uh but yeah no it was it was that was definitely um one of my favorite memories Oh, the MLR season, just being able to get out there and play in front of friends and family and just getting to see them after the game. And, you know, just seeing so many people come out and so many friendly faces in the stands and, and yeah, even like walk around the facilities, obviously, you know, there's a few people that I'd been working with, with the Pacific pride and, you know, even like walking up to the game, I saw um, our physio or our athletic therapist, Jamie Neal, um, who works with the pride and yeah, it was, you know, just for an example, and it was just so exciting just to see, you know, so many people and so many people coming out and even, even people from the university who I didn't even know followed rugby came out and watched the game and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, that was, it was, yeah, pretty funny. And I don't know what's going on, like whether or not there's just some sort of magnetic pull to Starlight Stadium for me, or I, I don't know what's going on, but uh, yeah, definitely played a lot of rugby there over the years. So uh, you kind of, mention obviously you know you talked about a lot of the guys that you looked up to um as uh you know open side flankers um when you were growing up um the, the first name that you mentioned when we're kind of looking at like you know if we you circled a you know a game on your calendar or whatever you mentioned immediately not being able to play san diego and michael smith um and so i just kind of because when to us when we're looking at the uh like the canadian back row right now it's pretty loaded um, so just kind of like, what are your thoughts on, I guess, just looking across MLR, seeing guys like Smith or Heaton, obviously Rumball on your own team as well. It just seems to be a really, like, a really quite large amount, or I guess a lot of depth for Canada right now at the, um, at the, in the seven Jersey and just kind of, what are your kind of thoughts on that? And maybe, you know, where you see yourself kind of slotting in amongst that mix. 
yeah, I mean, it's really exciting to see those guys uh, doing well in the league. I mean, not to mention Nikai Penny over the Seawolves as well. He's an absolute machine and definitely doing his everything he can to put his hand up, and he's doing well. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think it's just great that we have a lot of depth in that position, a lot of competition. Um, and, yeah, obviously I have a lot of respect for all those guys. And, I mean, especially coming to Toronto, right, I was super lucky to have Lucas there. And, you know, there's a lot of practices where I would just pester him afterwards, just like, hey, Lucas, hey, Rums, let's go do some breakdown work and all the rest of it. And I could just tell, like, by the end, you're just like, oh, leave me alone, you stupid rookie. But, uh, no, like, Rumble was always uh, always there. And, you know, he always put his uh, best foot forward for me. And I learned a lot off him. And that's something I'll always really appreciate. So, no, I just it's just great to finally have a somewhat domestic competition where we can play good games week in, week out, and challenge ourselves. Um, yeah, to be honest with you, I don't really know where I rate. Uh, amongst those guys, I mean, you know, they're all all classy operators and, you know, great. Uh, they work really well around the breakdown. Um, so, you know, the only thing I can really do is worry about my own game and, you know, just try and improve and just try and tick uh, Kingsley's boxes and, you know, see see if I can get my name on a, in a red and white jersey one day. So, Yeah, and uh, what – so I guess looking back on your uh, rookie season, first year in MLR, what's like maybe your favorite memory of uh, playing pro rugby for the first time? Yeah, I mean, it um, – I, I would say, yeah, definitely playing in Victoria would definitely be number one just because it was such a cool experience. And especially I had, you know, my dad out there and watching the game. And I know, you know, my mom was over in England watching the game as well and – so that was a really good experience. Uh, got to see my brother as well after the game. Um, but then also playing in Utah as well, just, you know, get my first start. And, yeah, I mean, Pete called me up early in the week. And, you know, unfortunately, Thomas De La Vega received or suffered an injury and just wasn't ready to start. So, I, yeah, basically going in. And, yeah, I was super nervous uh, leading up to it. And, you know, I <laughs> tried my best uh, in practice and all the rest of it, just kind of keep together and all the rest. But, uh yeah, no, it was a really cool experience running out and uh, just with the seven on my back. Um, yeah, really, really cool experience. But, uh, but yeah, honestly, another great memory of mine is definitely um, during the second bye week when uh, a group of us went down to Nashville just for a little, um, you know, education trip and a little <laughs> bit of uh, you know, training camp work down there. And, you know, just, yeah, a lot of hard work down there uh, during that week off. But, uh, no, yeah, it was, it was just a lot of fun and, but yeah, I'd say probably playing wise, probably probably playing in Victoria and then also playing Utah. Yeah, you guys definitely just uh, went to the gym and like checked out some museums and stuff in Nashville, right? That was, that was culturally yeah. significant. Sit, yeah, sit in some classes at like Tennessee or something like that, and just uh, just to kind of enjoy that. That's right. And yeah, in, in bed by days. 10 p.m. every night. Absolutely. There you go, Stu. You nailed it. I was just about to say that. In bed 10 p.m. You know, early risers got to get up with the sun, and yeah, it was good. It was good. A lot of a lot of improvement made that week. So. I love I love that you appear to be under the impression that the RCMP and uh, Pete Smith listen to this podcast. So um, that's all. That's uh, always good to hear. Oh man, Pete Smith definitely listens to this podcast. Like, <laughs> don't fool yourselves on that, guys. But uh, yeah, no, that'll be good next time I see him. But uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's good. It's good. Perfect. And uh, I guess obviously Arrow's been kind of busy this off season and stuff. Um, you know, a couple new signings coming in, re- players being re-signed. Uh, any sort of uh, you know kind of thoughts on? Uh, any of the uh, the moves the arrows have made and uh, where you guys are, uh, are, are, I guess are heading as the, into the uh, 2022, 2023 season. Yeah. I mean, there's, there has been a lot going on obviously. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to see Sammy Malcolm back and Mitch Richardson back. And then, you know, obviously the arrows um, signed that new fellow from Australia. I, you know, really sorry. I can't remember his name at the moment, but I mean, Nick Ben. I, yeah. Nick Ben. Yeah. 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 He, uh, yeah. He seems like a, great player and honestly can't wait to meet him. So yeah, I think, you know, obviously the arrows are moving in a good direction and, you know, a little bit of a little bit of rebuild for sure. But um, yeah, I think we'll be in a good spot and yeah, pretty excited. And yeah, just exciting, you know, week to weeks, just seeing these new signings and finding out uh, which of the boys are coming back and all the rest of it. And yeah, so honestly just excited to have the roster finalized so we can just focus on playing and getting after the season. All right. Well, Unfortunately, rugby isn't everything. It's the main thing, but it's not everything. Um, so now, obviously, that the MLR season is over and um, 
you know, the off season preparing, obviously playing um, local games. But is there any other like hobbies and interests you have outside of rugby that you are uh, passionate about? Yeah, honestly, pretty boring. I mean, I uh, just like to really hang out with friends and um, just spend some good time there. But uh, yeah, recently been working in a hockey arena, just driving to Zamboni, just uh, oh, nice. just uh, keeping the uh, keep the paychecks coming in. Uh, I, I did that when I finished high school. I came back to Cochrane for about six months just to learn learn how to do that. And and yeah, it's a handy skill to have, you know. Just kind of mm-hmm. walk up to a rink and apply, and the rest is history. But uh, but yeah, honestly, just it's nice just to kind of be back in, in Western Canada and um, kind of see some old friends and all the rest of it. I mean, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I, I'm not a huge hunter and all the rest of it, but uh, definitely would like to get into that and that kind of thing if I had more time and, you know, uh, yeah, I had more time in my hands. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 and honestly as well, I enjoyed, enjoyed reading as well. Sorry, I'm not, I'm struggling over here, struggling. But, uh, <laughs> I'm going to pull it back together here. Holy, uh yeah, enjoy reading as well. Um, it's always a, a nice pastime as well. But um, yeah, definitely do my best to show up for rugby and just have some, you know, share some good times with some friends and just hang out with the uh, the important people in my life. So nice. So obviously, I think you're the first Zamboni driver that we've had on this podcast. So I feel like I have to ask a couple oh. extra questions. So right, I'm assuming. <laughs> so uh, I'm assuming you're a big. F- flames fan then growing up in calgary so any thoughts on we asked about the arrows off season but the flames off season has been absolutely wild right now um so any thoughts on obviously good good leaving to a columbus and then uh a absolutely wild trade probably like the biggest trade in like in like 20 30 years as far as just names that have been dealt um math uh kachuk goes to uh to Florida, but you get Huberdo and Wegar back, plus a whole lot of draft picks and stuff too. Who I can't actually remember who the Flames used those on, but that's not besides the point. Um, so just yeah, thoughts on uh, Calgary's off season? Yeah, careful, Derek. You're uh, gonna get my uh, blood pressure going here, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean initially, right? Like you see uh, Johnny Hockey and uh, Chucky leaving. Yeah, it was that was tough. That that really hurt. Took that one personally. Took a couple of days to get over it, but uh, over it now and. You know, the boys, uh, <clears throat> they just got to do what's best for them. And, you know, they're moving in a good direction. And that's, you know, that's all you can really hope for. You know, they're happy. Good doing, doing good stuff for their family. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that Florida trade was outstanding. I mean, that kind of yeah. came from nowhere. I don't even know how the Flames were able to swing that. Because from my knowledge, the only thing the Flames lost was – well, I mean, the only thing. Oh, my God. They lost Kachuk. But, anyway, they yeah. acquired some, you know, serious return. So, I I'd, I'd have no idea how they pulled it off. But, I mean – when the trades are going on, I was, yeah, definitely nervous. And I was kind of like, oh, what are we doing? But uh, it was looking like a, it was going to be a huge rebuild period for the Flames for a while there. But but now we've, yeah, again, right, the Florida trade really saved that. And exciting to see those guys in a red red jersey. And, yeah, uh, excited for the season coming up. So, But, uh, yeah, you guys uh, excited to see the uh, Leafs try and make fast the first oh, round. Oh, God. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, so this is where this podcast is going? Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess they, they obviously, I mean, yeah, no, it's tough. And so I was honestly, I was so happy I got to watch an Arrows game instead of game seven. Um, that was I was the, surprised how many people were there at that, at yeah. that game. I don't know. I think it, enough people have learned at this point and were like, it's not worth it. One, Let's just go watch the Arrows instead. If you're at the Leafs game, you can't watch James O'Neill play. That's first. So that's obviously yeah. where a lot of the crowd was coming from. Um but I think, uh, yeah, but I was just like, I couldn't, I, I feel like, yeah, I was like, I couldn't do it. I didn't even like look at the score and stuff during, and then they, they put the, uh, the, I guess the game on after, um, on the, uh, like the, the big screen at York stadium there. And I was like, kind of watching it for like fi- finishing up, like, uh, like post-game interview kind of stuff. And then I was just like, kept looking over and I'm just like, this is, I just feel sad again. So I really appreciated you guys giving me a little bit of a break during that game. It was much less stressful um but yeah no Leafs gotta get past the first round at some point and I don't like I guess obviously uh you know Samsonov being I guess the new goalie he's just I don't know he was really good in the KHL but I feel like he hasn't really clicked in the NHL at all yet and yeah and it's a shame uh yeah. he was losing soupy there like oh I, I was a huge yeah. fan of Campbell 
Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, I don't like, he's not, I don't know. For some reason, it seemed like the Leaf, Leafs, I guess, fans and stuff always kind of the goalie's like the first guy everybody yells at and stuff, even though he's like the nicest human being on the earth. The nicest. Um, the nicest. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, obviously, like kind of, you know, new, new goalie. So maybe, but like, Goaltending doesn't necessarily really seem to be the problem either, but I was really just kind of hoping Tampa would win the cup. That way we could just be like, ah, three peat team. That's, you know, just a speed bump on this uh, this dynasty run that Tampa was having. But now I guess we have, it's just so many problems, I guess that we get to pretend to try to fill up and uh, don't have a, we don't have a Kachuk to trade for like, you know, two star players and like six picks. Um, So that's, uh, or I guess, I don't know, maybe we could do that, but. I don't yeah, know. Maybe, so some maybe. big contracts. We got Giordano though, right? So hopefully yeah. that's Giordano's resign, right? So I mean, you have to you have to enjoy that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and <clears throat> I mean, obviously Gio's there, so yeah. obviously yeah, part of me was definitely cheering for you boys. But I mean, yeah, obviously it's been so long, and at this point, you know, I I wouldn't mind seeing the Leafs make it past the first round. I mean, I, I think that you know yeah. that city's been through a lot and. I think it'd be nice, but uh, especially, you know, Giordano, it'd be nice to see him get a cup before uh, he hangs up the skates. But, but yeah, I mean, did you watch that uh, that all or nothing series on the Leafs? I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and then that was cool just going behind the scenes. I know it was during COVID and all the rest of it, but then, yeah, you get to meet some of the players. And that was, yeah, when you get to know uh, Jack Campbell as well, and you just, he's, he is the nicest guy ever. Like, like, he's <laughs> I know I, exactly, and that makes you more upset that he's traded because it's not like he's just a good goalie. He's like, yeah, yeah how do you... especially to Edmonton too. Like, oh my god, what is? Oh yeah, so you must hate that even more. Like, they're just... it here against it. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. At least we can all agree that the Oilers suck, and no matter what, we <laughs> can go off with this podcast. The Oilers. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, now this is the thing. My hockey knowledge is very limited. Yeah. Uh, James, as a Zamboni driver, when are you getting your first victory against the Maple Leafs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, that was such an amazing story. Eh? I mean, I, I love seeing that and I love that that's still a thing in hockey and I hope they keep that rule just the way it is because it kind of keeps a bit of the spirit of the game alive. But yeah, that was crazy, man. I remember listening to uh, an inter- interview about that, uh, about the goalie who came on, the emergency goalie and and he was just saying that, you know, sometimes every now and again, he would have to step in at least practices if like one of the goalies were sick or injured or something. So he, he was just saying like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm in terrible shape. And, you know, it's been a while since I've played proper hockey, but I mean, he knows how all the boys uh, shoot and he knows all their tells. And so he, he was just apparently just chirping them on the ice and all the rest of it. So, but I mean, Hey, like maybe that'll happen for me one day, but I mean, hopefully not for the team that would put me in. Holy. All right, so we'll flip this because I, I do kind of agree with you that the emergency backup is probably the best rule in sports history. Um, what position should like rugby have that you're allowed an emergency? You get to call like a fan from the stands down to play in the event that they get hurt. That's a great question. That's a great question. I, I mean, it's tough, right? Because my the first thing my mind goes to is having a front row like a, like a prop like an emergency prop but then you know at the same time you can't just like throw an average joe in there <laughs> hope for the best it might end poorly so oh uh, i mean the guy that cuts the grass at york might be good who knows based yeah, on this logic hard. so yeah yeah um yeah but honestly I, I feel like if you know they could pass a few fitness tests here and there and you know it's that you know if they're up for it I, i'd say i'd probably go to the front row I'd probably go to the front row. What about you, Stu? Uh, well, you know, some of those water boys that Toronto have had for like, last season, I think if you could get someone to replace them and get them on the pitch, I'm sure that'll turn around uh, pretty well. So, Absolutely. Think, like, that, that's a position you replace. You replace the water boy, and then the water boy replaces whoever's on the pitch. It may be Sam Malcolm coming in <laughs> in the second row or the front row, but, you know, if you just need someone there uncontested, I think that's uh, I think that's the safest way you can get uh, uh, people from the stands into the games, but that's about it. True, but I mean, honestly, if you had to put Sammy in a scrum, I'd I'd back him to be in a contested scrum all day. I think he well, holds well, I mean, the guy has played uh, fly half and scrum half in the same game this uh, past season, so I don't put it past him at all. Yep, yep, very impressive. What about you, Derek? No, I I mean, I think logistically front row does make the most sense because that's like you have to actually change a rule of the game if you lose too many front row players. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But that also might mean you have to have like a fleet of guys in the stands in case, like how many guys would have to go down before you start bringing in the emergency front row players before the guys have to like dust off the lawnmowers and stuff and make sure that they're uh, <laughs> putting their boots on and things like that's, it's a lot of guys to go through. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, scrum half, fly half, I guess, would be the next closest ones. But, yeah, front row, I guess, makes the most sense because you literally have to – you can't do a contested scrum without them, right? So that makes – that probably does make the most sense. You probably might have to – I don't know. I guess I, I remember, like, I think the – like, the Erie Otters, like, I don't know. It's probably a while ago. But, like, might even be – like, well, either while McDavid was there or pre-McDavid, they ended up using, like – an injured centerman or something as an emergency backup goalie or whatever. So I feel like prop prop might be hard just cause it's like, you can't just get like, you can't stick anybody at prop. Right. So that might be, you need more emergenciness. Whereas the goalie, you can at least throw like your center, or your Zamboni driver in there. Right. So it's fine. So prop yeah, to but yeah, yeah. No, we're trying right. to, we're trying to logic this out. It's a very serious yeah. question. So yeah, big brains here, big brains yeah. working together. Yeah, yeah an, an interesting topic for La Rouge Rugby podcast. Okay. Oh, if we, yeah, exactly. Well, we have to dive into hockey at some point, right? Uh, we do have to talk about one additional sport in every episode that we talk about. Yeah, it's true. Um, so let's have a, uh, so we're talking about like hobbies and interests. Um, let's have a brief look into the future. You know, you've got your career ahead of you. Um, what are you hoping to see from the Toronto Arrows? and Canada, and by extension, the MLR over the next few years, especially with the 2031 uh, Men's Rugby World Cup coming to the USA. Yeah, I mean, that's super exciting, right? Seeing the World Cup come to North America. Well, I mean, obviously, it's based in the US, but just south of Canada. And yeah, it's very, very exciting. I mean, really, really hoping that Canada can be a part of that. Um, Yeah, I think moving forward, It'd be really nice. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Moving forward, you know, seeing Toronto lift the shield would be amazing. And that's definitely a goal that we're working toward and making sure we're doing everything we can to get to that goal. You know, whether it happens this year or not, I don't know. But I know that, you know, we're doing everything we can to get there. And, you know, obviously with Rugby Canada, you know, they're obviously having their struggles at the moment. But I mean, you know, as a nation, as long as we, keep back in the boys and the boys who are actually wearing the red and white jerseys and wish them all the best. That's all we can really do. Um, but yeah, obviously be fantastic to see Canada back in the 2027 world cup. I mean, that would, it's definitely job number one, just to worry about the qualifiers coming up in a couple of years here. And I think, you know, seeing the arrows play well and will ultimately lead to Canada playing well and, you know, Canada playing well, will yeah, basically the dominoes will fall in place. Dominoes will fall in place after that. But um, yeah, I know like all the players who are involved and all the rest of it are definitely doing everything we possibly can to, you know, make a difference and kind of turn the tide as it will or as it is. But um, yeah, with the MLR, it'd be obviously, obviously it's its uh, sixth year coming up, and um, you know every single MLR franchise has their own little issues right i mean that's to be to be expected just the nature of the game and um how rugby is kind of a growing sport as well but i mean it'd be really really cool to see mlr kind of be on the same level as mls one day i mean obviously it's pretty you know it'd be pretty fair to tell stuff to be like oh yeah we're gonna be on the same level as the nfl but you know where that's light years away at the moment but if we can at least get to you know close to being on the same level as the mls i think that'd be really, really exciting for the sport, but also, you know, for the players coming through. And yeah, I think that's kind of where we really need to set our goals at. So. Okay. Uh, I believe that's all the questions we have for you, James. Thank you uh, very much for joining us this evening. Um, If people would like to find you on social media, where can they do so? Uh, Yeah. So um, you can find me on Instagram at uh, James uh, underscore S underscore O'Neill 15. Um, and then I'd, Matt, honestly, I don't even know what my uh, Twitter handle is, but uh, <laughs> I, can, I can send that to you later and you can post that on there. But yeah, I mean, yeah, always uh, open to the fans and you know, have, happy to have a conversation. So the Twitter handle is just the angriest Flames fan you can find uh, after, <laughs> after the Kachuk trade. Yeah, I think I'll have to change to that for sure right now. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Uh, and if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and you would like to listen to more of them, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM and Spotify. If you enjoyed looking at our beautiful faces, you can watch more of our podcasts, including exclusive videos on our YouTube channel at LaRouge Rugby. And we are across all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at LaRouge Rugby. Derek, where can the people find you? Um, at for a set the jet across all social media platforms and you can find me mainly on twitter and instagram at hardman spell h4rdman well james thank you very much for joining us for this our first episode back from our break and i know that we'll be um keeping our eyes peeled for the um, third incarnation of the mlr draft coming up this week thank you for joining us and derek thank you for being here as always and thanks to all our listeners and viewers for joining us and we hope you can join us again next time